0: Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, range and livestock specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. My guest today on the show is Shannon Nybergs. Shannon is a livestock economist with Washington State University Extension here in Pullman. He's also the director for the Western Center for Risk Management Education. Uh, The the funding for this podcast for the initial year is coming from the Western Center for Risk Management Education. Uh, I suspect that some listeners will be unfamiliar with the regional Centers for Risk Management. Uh, Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tip. Uh, Can you tell us what, what the RME Centers are and
1: what they do? The RME centers were funded by the Ag Risk Protection Act, which is federal funding. And the federal funding provides us a pool of money uh, for the regional centers. And then I have the Western Center and then the other regional centers are across the country. And so from that pool of money, we offer a grant, a competitive grant program where project directors apply to do risk management education projects.
0: To what extent are the various centers similar to each other or different? Similar in how they're funded, but different in what they do as far as outreach?
1: Very similar. We coordinate all our efforts. Uh, We have one guiding principle that was dictated down to us is that no one center can be more restrictive than any other center. So from that philosophy, we're very similarly managed. We all have the same objective of educating agriculture producers on the full range of risk management education topics. And so for the West, that's going to range from dry land, grain production, Hmm. all the way to irrigated horticulture production, and across the entire spectrum of agriculture producers from commercial producers, all the way to specialty niche marketing producers, and specialty emphasis Audiences, including Native Americans or Latino producers or women in agriculture and beginning farmers, is also another uh, highly popular special emphasis group.
0: Hmm. Are there four centers?
1: Yeah, what one for each uh, one for each quad, quadrant of the compass: north, south, east, and west. Yeah, that's correct. And so, for the western one, we have 13 states from the west, uh, where Montana to the south and to the west, including Alaska and Hawaii is in our region. From the Great Plains west to the coast. Right.
0: Yeah, the the breadth of topics covered by the RME centers is pretty impressive. I think I've been involved with two of them. What are some of the RME-funded projects that relate to livestock production in the last little while?
1: Yeah, so we have a number of interesting uh, grazing and livestock management uh, projects that we've funded we funded a whole ranch planning series with Lori Bauer and the Southwest Grass-Fed Livestock Alliance, and they addressed holistic management principles and practices in developing ranch management plans. We funded a project in Arizona for monitoring and grazing on public lands. Uh, that was led by Doug Tollison and Michael Crimmins at the University of Arizona, and they did a monitoring and drought management in, in Arizona and California. We funded the California cattlemen's a couple times. One was on ranch adaptation strategies to remain economically viable in drought. And currently they've just been recently funded on a new program to address traceability and improved record keeping. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh you had an earlier project on riparian grazing management that was very successful and and then another one to mention was our colleague Sarah Smith out of Moses Lake with Washington State University Extension she delivered two projects on low stress cattle handling so overall we've uh, uh that's just a part of our portfolio of projects that we were funded but uh really have some good tools and interest in in dealing with the risk management topics facing livestock producers.
0: What are some of the risk topics that seem
1: to be the biggest concern right now? Well, certainly uh, agriculture is in a change uh, moving from the high price years up through 2014, 2015 into a, a period of low commodity prices and high risk uh, all across agriculture. The dairy producers, uh, it's widely known the corn and soybean producers are having difficult times on uh, profitability challenges and all those uh, risks are important and uh, really impacting their profitability, their financial stress and their management.
0: It seems like the complexity of risk is one of the the biggest challenge is not just the breadth of risks and and you also have interacting risks. Uh we did we did a, a wintertime beef production workshop with the University of Wyoming a couple of years ago and there was a survey uh that we gave to folks at that at that workshop and they they indicated that about half of them were uncertain of their ability to manage through the economic and social risks of ranching. I think we don't often assume the social risks as being one of the you know one of the the dominant things, but uh that that dovetails with some stuff that's been said by Nathan Sayre uh, who was on the show recently who said that the threats against ranching today are not fundamentally ecological ones they're mostly economic and political in nature uh there was also a survey in California back in two thousand and eleven that from which they published the results that showed that from ranchers perspectives the things that keep them up at night uh, are not calf prices but environmental regulations governmental policies and the use of land
1: do we still see that here that's uh we definitely see all those factors uh, intermixed with a very challenging economic environment i think that uh those all those risks are important And I think that as we look at grazing management systems and rangeland systems all across the West is is the economics that are driving those decisions. Economics uh, in regards to managing the livestock and producing at a profit, uh, the economics of the social infrastructure of rural communities, and just the overall complexity of providing food to the consumer base, both domestically and internationally as we supply beef and other products to the international community.
0: Yeah. We talk about trying to build up resilience, which it's a word kind of like sustainability. It can be so overused and so vague that it begins to mean nothing, but uh, you know, with both ecological and economic resilience, uh you and I have recently been involved with a case studies project, uh, and some of the interaction on that project was actually uh, the impetus to start this podcast from, from two different perspectives. One is that uh, I think we realized in interviewing ranchers the, the real complexity of these interacting risks uh, and also the, the challenge in having uh, mechanisms to build resilience that are kind of specific to somebody's context. It's not something that you can throw out there and do a publication that's going to be uh, the same strategies in Idaho versus Oregon versus uh, New Mexico, uh, sort of a sidetrack. But the other uh, the other reason was that we realized most people that are in this world, whether they're ranchers or what I call natural resource professionals, tend to spend a lot of time on the road. And there's a podcast out there for everything under the sun and i thought well there's got to be one for uh, for grassland ecology and livestock production and so i got to looking and couldn't find anything i really couldn't find anything so uh, we got to thinking maybe maybe we should build one and and maybe that would actually be more useful than just entertaining people while they're driving down the road maybe we can do some good with that and and maybe even more than doing good uh, maybe we can help people address some of these risks most effectively by covering a broad range of topics and covering them in depth with people who really know their stuff. Uh, And that was really how we ended up starting a podcast. And I uh, appreciate the Center for Risk Management for thinking this might be a useful way to tackle it.
1: Yeah. And that was, uh, it was interesting all the way through. Uh, It was interesting because I remember talking with you when we were on our way to jacks ranch about uh the, would the would a podcast fit the e army funding program profile and and truthfully it was a little bit on the outside it was a little bit on the frontier on developing this type of education material oftentimes these projects uh, extension projects we want to put people in the classroom we want to count heads we want to have a survey of uh of satisfaction with the program and we use those metrics for evaluating the impact of those programs and so this podcast is uh, a new a new technology for us that we thought would be a great avenue to invest in or to develop because like you say these topics are, are very educational based. They're, they're good to develop along a conversational line. And we were real happy to make that uh, or to fund this project that it met the competitive guidelines and beat out other projects to be funded and that we're moving forward with this and, we're, and how great these podcasts have been and, and moving forward on, on developing them.
0: I hope the podcast continues to be useful. Uh, More than that, for me, it really has been more fun than I expected it to be. So, again, thank you. Uh, Let's jump in a bit to talk about some of the different risks in livestock production. Uh, We've mentioned there's a complexity of topics, but I think it would be worth talking about the details of some of these, I think... Price is one of the more obvious ones, but the complexity of where price comes from may be something that people don't fully appreciate. What are all the range of factors that play into just the prices that are being paid for calves?
1: So price is uh, very interesting. Price, when people ask you about, well, where's the price trend moving or what are the impacts on price? It really boils down to the tenets of economics of supply and demand. And so you start look breaking out the impacts to those two factors, and then you'll it'll drive you to a conclusion of where the price is heading, and what are the risks on those prices. And so when you look at supply, it's a we can really see that in the cattle market as the herd liquidated in part response to the drought, extensive drought in 2011, 2012, up to 2014, there was a herd liquidation. Event that decreased the cattle herd decreased the U.S. beef supply, and we, and in turn of that decreased supply, we saw record high prices for cattle and for beef products. In the meat case, all the way up into 2015, and so the supply part of that was uh, very indicative. It very much supported those record high prices, and now we're rebuilding the herd, and in fact we're predicting record-level production, beef production, in 2019 and 2020. And that's on top of record-high production year-over-year year for both pork and poultry. So we're facing a market of production here where supply is year-over-year record-high, and that, has, uh, that supply has a direct impact on the market trends uh, looking forward.
0: It seems like following the the BSC cow in two thousand one, that was about where the traditional ten year cattle cycle, cattle price cycle, broke down. Uh, So are we now beginning to see that return, where there's a more predictable prices go up, that stimulates people to retain animals, build the herd back up, and then prices go back down.
1: Uh, There's been a lot of talk on the price cycles. And it's uh, maybe good to consider it with the dairy producers, a little more easier to see the picture. And uh, people talked about a three-year price cycle of on um, dairy products, but that price cycle has eliminated, has been eliminated through the specialization of dairy production. And it's year-over-year year increases in production as a response to try to manage through profitability difficulties hmm. and so the price signals of supply expansion and contraction are not being uh, well transmitted and responded to by the producers in that they're committed to the production process uh, as long as they're having some profitability or some returns to their investments that they're working through is that they're maintaining those production levels and so those price cycles are really diminished so
0: if supply goes up dramatically as it appears to be trending, uh, are there any are there any circumstances that would lead to prices still being supportive where people are not losing money?
1: that's uh, that's very interesting so so then we can turn to the demand side of the of the equation and very critically, the U.S. demand is very stable. We have a, a high economic base, where the world's leading economy, and so our food purchasing ability in the United States is very stable, and uh, and and so that adds some stability to the market. But our price variability and our price risk is increasingly being impacted by exports and export trends and world. Uh, geopolitics that impact those markets. And we can see recently, just everybody's been hearing on the news on the tariffs and the trade wars with China and the multitude of market impacts that those negotiations have. But it extends beyond China and extends to all our international trading partners and all our international competitors as, as we look at to supply food and beef and other meat products across the world and the export become really more important. The beef exports are 13% of the production level and poultry and pork are now about 20% of the production level. And so as you increasingly rely on exports, that variability in those markets in turn, come back to uh, impact our prices and our producers. Mm -hmm. And it it was interesting that you mentioned Japan as well, and the BSE is that there was just a news release today where Japan has dropped its age restrictions as it's gone from uh, post-BSE age restrictions. Uh, They've dropped that today to help uh, ease uh, access to the Japanese market and provide more beef products into Japan.
0: Hmm. I think it was about two either 2 or 3 years ago that I heard Randy Black from Facts say that there is there's, there's a, a pretty large uh, population shift in China in particular from rural areas from the countryside into the cities. And when people get into the cities and they have a little bit more disposable income, one of the first things they do with it is purchase protein and and people like beef. Has do you know if that trend has continued?
1: Yes, that's that trend's continued the to- Details of the statistics is hard to track down because of um, black market shipments into China of beef that's been reported. But uh, certainly, beef is, I would say, at the top of the food demand chain where people migrate to that if they have the ability to pay for it and it's sourced where they can purchase it.
0: What are some of the other risks? We talked a bit about climate. Uh, To what extent does climate? play into livestock production risk?
1: It's uh, critical. I think that the production risks on rangelands are extremely severe and demanding uh, of management efforts and, and attention. And a number of the podcasts in the series have uh, addressed that climate variability and the impacts on range conditions and then the resulting impacts on uh, rangeland management.
0: We're aware that it's, you know, a national and a global market. Um, To what extent do regional cattle prices depend on or are affected by uh, climate changes somewhere else? You know, say we have drought occurring in the South or in the Great Plains.
1: Does that affect prices here? It dramatically affects prices. And in fact, uh, it's real interesting in that beef prices were setting year over year record highs as we talked a little bit a few minutes ago up from 2014 to 2015 and in 2015 australia had a drought and they had to liquidate a large number of their cattle herd and part of that liquidation ended up as imports in the united states mm. which had which was one of the leading indicators and a contributor to the price decline that, that peaked in 2015 and started declining in that summertime timeframe. So yeah, every every the drought conditions everywhere are uh, have relative impacts and interesting even on looking at uh, drought and impacts and resiliency in the United States as to what areas are more prone to drought and extended drought and what geographic regions have some resiliency to drought impacts and i would argue that washington has one of has increased resiliency to drought because of its extensive irrigation system
0: mhm jack southworth talked a bit about being a low cost producer and i think sometimes ranchers get tired of hearing that they need to be a low cost producer to make money and you can probably drive that too far but um What are what are some? I'm aware that the the RME centers have developed some tools to help people manage through uh, risk and help understand your prices. I think one of the big issues in the in the beef production uh, with cow calf producers in particular is that a lot of times people don't even know what their costs are, and so they don't know at the at the ranch level how much they're making or how much they're losing. Uh, Doug Warnock, who was who retired from WSU back in 1996 did an enterprise analysis of cow calf production in the Kootenai Valley under irrigation, using figures from 1990 through 1995, and he found that using average input costs, average price revenue, or average calf revenue, that the average rancher was losing about seventy five dollars per mother cow, and you know people often have this idea that ranchers are making money hand over fist because they have uh, cheap forage and you're letting the cow do all the work. Uh, but it's not quite that simple. what are some tools out there to uh, understand your costs and also to manage
1: costs? Yeah, the costs are, are very interesting and that's actually uh, in the early 90s, dating back to then, I worked at Texas A&;M to go back to school. and I worked with Jim McGran and I was involved in the team. That developed the standardized production analysis worksheets to directly uh, standardize the process and estimate your cost of production. And that standard that standardized production analysis or abbreviated SPA is uh, uh, supported by the NCBA, available through different sources to get those worksheets. And what it did was it standardized how to evaluate your grazing resources, how to evaluate your winter feed cost? how to evaluate raised versus purchased livestock, and set up accounting rules along that full spectrum of ranch management Mm -hmm. so that when you got to the bottom line, your your cost per unit weight of production or cost per hundred weight of production was comparable to another rancher in Texas or Florida or Montana, and we did this all, all across the country. And uh, one of the findings from that data was the most profitable ranches were also the lowest cost producers. But that I think, as you mentioned, that you can take that far too extreme and drive a lot of the fun out of ranching by trying to trying to cut costs on every corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of um agriculture enterprises and and institutions and i was one of my first jobs was with an agriculture bank we were in the farm financial crisis and we had one person trying to minimize office supply cost well that didn't make a hill of beans a difference in the long run uh, success of the bank Mm -hmm. and uh and it just wasn't worth the effort to to track that down but on ranching uh the cost of production knowing that cost of production is absolutely critical it's the base of your of all your risk management tools and workshops that you can use and develop so there are tools uh, there's uh, some spreadsheets that we've developed that to help you develop that cost of production and uh knowing that then sets a foundation on not only on developing your marketing plans and evaluating uh, forward contract options or other pricing tool options. It also uh, puts benchmarks, and you can set goals, and you can set uh, um, ranch management goals and incentives and rewards for hitting different targets. And you know that you're standardized. You know that you're uh, accounted for correctly, and and you know you're going to be heading in the right direction.
0: Separate from uh, from some of the risk management. Education workshops and tools. There are some insurance products out there now that uh, some people are using. It seems like this is something a little bit new to the ranching world. You know, beef producers are no- a notoriously independent lot and have historically looked down their nose at government programs that would help prop them up. Uh, but the insurance products are something a little bit different than just, uh, say, farm subsidies. How do those work? In the In the context of livestock production, what are the what are some of the various products out there and how do they
1: function? Yeah and let's uh, let's first let's first talk about uh, motivation on on programs and, and using some management tools and insurance tools. There's really two ways that you're going to manage risk. Ranchers have a choice. either they can self-insure that risk, or they could use other tools to, to manage that risk. And so self-insuring risk has is, is been very successful in agriculture if you're in the financial position to do so. If you have an equity position, uh, a, a strong equity position where you could go to the bank and get an operating loan to meet a cash flow shortfall, that's, that's perfectly fine if that's the, your management philosophy and your financial position that you have that cushion. But if uh, you have some debt, you have uh, your family living expenses are are tighter, and you can't withstand a loss, uh, you're not in the financial position to withstand a loss, then you might be more interested in implementing some of these insurance tools to put a floor under your profitability or put a floor under your price that you can... uh, uh, you, you have to, the offset is that you have to write a premium check, and you write a premium check, but you've established that floor, and that might preserve the long run uh, resiliency or viability of your operation to withstand these uh, market negative market impacts or drought impacts as well.
0: Hmm. Uh, does the timing of when somebody gets into some of those insurance contracts make a difference?
1: Yeah, uh, the a couple of things on the timing is that the deadlines for sign up are early they're early relative to when you think you're going to be dealing with these management challenges mm-hmm. and so the uh different tools uh on the insurance uh, you have to be sensitive to those sign up deadlines and and be have it in your mind that's why it's good to talk about now well before these deadlines are hitting And then uh, put some management tools in place, management ideas in place that this might work for me, do some investigation. And so when you're ready to pull the trigger, everything's been established. And so uh, usually it's almost a year prior to the production year where these uh, insurance tools are available. And that's uh, from their perspective, from the insurance industry's perspective, you don't want to. Uh, write a car insurance policy after you crashed i mean it's the idea is to write it before the crash and then uh, you have that um, tool in place
0: Mm -hmm. what are some of the specific insurance products that are available
1: well for ranching there's a there's three that i'd like to bring up and the first one is this pasture rangeland forage insurance and that's a insurance product that has some history on in the ranching community, but has been um, de- improved and developed on. The original release of the pasture rangeland forage program had two different metrics of use. One was a green index based on satellite imagery, and one was a rainfall index. The green index was not successful and it mm-hmm. ran into a lot of problems. Uh, and so then the program had to overcome that negative uh, reputation on that green index, but now er, the pasture rangeland forage is entirely on a rainfall index. Uh, you're ensuring rainfall in certain periods of the year, hmm. and it's gaining popularity across the ranch and community in different areas uh, as you can look at the number of uh, policies sold and the number of acres covered under these different policies. And in some areas, uh, Nebraska, New Mexico and Nevada though pasture rangeland forage is uh heavily purchased and is increasing in purchases all around the west
0: places that have really high variability
1: yes you're 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 ensuring that variability and and you and you're monetizing that variability and then if you, that drought occurs you're you would get an indemnity check that would help you offset your uh, forage replacement costs, either to new pastures, new leases, new areas, or uh, purchased feed that you would bring in.
0: What other kinds of insurance? You mentioned whole farm revenue insurance?
1: Yeah, whole farm revenue insurance is a another uh, insurance product that's really gaining popularity. And what you're doing is that you're setting a floor on your Schedule F revenue. Schedule mm-hmm. F, if uh, just to be clear, is the Tax form you file with the IRS on your farming and ranching revenues, and uh, the bottom line on that, or the revenue line on that, you can insure that revenue line based on your historic average. And what that does is that if a drought occurs or price falls, a uh, disease outbreak, uh, and your revenue falls below that level, you will get an indemnity check to to offset some of those losses. Hmm. And so that's a wide-ranging tool that's uh, really uh, comprehensive in nature because Schedule F encompasses your entire agriculture enterprise.
0: Wow. That's interesting. One of my favorite lines is, it's not rocket science. (laughs) It's way more complicated than that. (laughs) Yeah. Rocket science is just math. This sounds like math plus doing a rain dance plus sign up for some insurance and gamble
1: yeah and you're and you're trading things off on the whole farm revenue insurance the premium rate fluctuates based on if if you were involved with the uh, pasture rangeland forage program or the livestock risk protection program your premium rates are adjusted because you're covering your risk in other avenues and if you just if you didn't have pasture rangeland forage And you just used whole farm revenue, well, all the risk is concentrated into that whole farm revenue. So your premium is going to be a little bit higher. So the challenge is to look at the portfolio of products offered, look at what best fits your operation, and and determine the mix of those products that best achieve your ranch objectives.
0: And this is all totally separate from another method of. Uh, trying to manage risk that I don't really know much about, like purchasing
1: cattle futures. uh really, really good question. And most people on,
0: do both of these things simultaneously.
1: Uh there's a there's a product that we haven't mentioned yet, and that's livestock risk protection. And livestock risk protection is a price insurance product, and it's a price insurance product that's based on the futures market outcomes. Hmm. And so what it does is it allows ranchers to, uh, no matter what your size is, to take advantage of futures market information and the opportunity to hedge price risk through the use of this insurance tool. That simplifies it. You don't have to deal with a broker and you don't have to deal with the large contract size that puts a lot of ranchers Mm -hmm. uh, that makes it infeasible to adequately manage your risk because the contract size is about 100 calves. And so that's a big chunk of calves for a lot of producers. And then you'd have to manage that directly with the futures market. And there's a lot of transaction costs and complexity involved with that. But that livestock risk protection uh, makes it easy. And you and it's another uh, risk management agency insurance product. Uh, you go in and decide on your coverage levels and your options and uh, the variable factors involved with that program that include the coverage level the time frame that you're covering um, the level of coverage that you want to pay for and you mix those options together to come up with a program that works for you that best fits what the objectives that you're trying to achieve
0: say a hundred years ago it, it seemed like there was a lot more diversification within agricultural enterprises and then we moved much more toward specialized farmers, where if you're a wheat farmer, you grow wheat in some rotation crop. And guys that had cattle just had cattle. Uh, it feels like we're moving back away from that specialization to where people are diversifying a little more again inside of an operation. Uh, do you see that with the farmers and ranches you work with through RME?
1: There's an interesting study we did on the beef industry a few years ago where we and this was for Washington we looked at uh, the production cattle production trends in Washington on a county basis and we really determined that Washington declined in cattle production at twice the national average hmm. and so then we went back to the counties and looked where, where did these reductions occur and we found that they occurred a lot in the eastern Washington dryland uh, cropping area where traditionally they did have a cattle enterprise and uh, a grain enterprise, and they integrated both and and they uh, moved together. But we found that they specialized. They dropped the cattle operation because of profitability and management complexities, and uh, and now you see those farms with grazing resources, looking at those resources. And thinking, well, how best to use that? How best uh, to use that resource? Do I can I lease it out? Um, can I do? I have any interest in producing cattle again myself? Am I interested in the cover crops and to make cover crops work? Everybody wants to great get some revenue off of that by grazing the cover crop, mm-hmm. and so it's all fitting uh, back together with economic incentives to develop more revenue sources and diversify those revenue sources.
0: So does that reduce risk or just increase the different sources of risk?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that's going to be uh that's going to be a hard question to answer on and on from year to year and I think yeah. it's going to be uh depending just just like this spring on the cold spring all across the country and the difficulty that uh, cattlemen have and had in their calving operations. Where where the management scheme was to move it back into the season a little bit to meet the forage cycle better and the weather cycle better and and just this year alone that management strategy didn't work as well and Mm -hmm. so I think it's year to year and having options and developing opportunities and um, I think it just gets back to what people want to do and how people want to address risk and and meet their family. Goals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Any other risk tools you want to talk about? Uh, I think those are those are the main ones that are dealing with uh, livestock. I think that it's interesting to to note that difference in that if you were getting an operating loan and you are a grain producer, the bank would would send you out the door if you didn't have crop insurance backing up your production scheme. Mm-hmm. and with the livestock producers these insurance tools for livestock producers are are new they're gaining popularity um they're not a a lending requirement um so it's going to take a while to to build the extent of use but they certainly offer some uh tools to manage that risk and increase the opportunity to uh, increase your Viability and resiliency over time.
0: I know the Livestock Risk Protection Program is one that, that people have been using, and sometimes those programs change from year to year. Are there any recent changes to the LRP?
1: Yeah, there's been a beneficial improvement in the LRP just recently, in that they've in, increased the subsidy rate of the product from 13% up to 20%, depending on your uh, choices of. of attributes within the LRP. Hmm. But that increase in subsidy was directly geared towards uh, helping people use this product and make it enticing to manage their risk on, the, on this with this product.
0: If you have a take-home message, is it keep records, know your costs to manage your financial risk?
1: Yeah, I think that the financial risk outlook is increasing. Uh, on all aspects of world politics, export markets, uh, production trends, all point to a sustained period of financial stress and, and marginal profitability. I've had a graph in some of my workshop presentations that I put together showing the relative long run Low returns to agriculture with intermittent spikes of profitability, such as what we Mm. saw recently following the Renewable Fuel Acts with the bump in ethanol demand and the increase in the cattle prices that we mentioned earlier in the um, podcast. But overall, the management plan and the management outlook is to uh, be rather conservative and be prepared to take advantages of opportunities as they arise. And so the Um, management strategy to take would be to conservative to be conservative try to grow your equity and use tools as appropriate to help manage your risks
0: i think it's a good message in in the at least in ecological terms resiliency includes really a couple distinct concepts one is resiliency which is uh, the ability of a system, a financial system, an ecological system, whatever, uh, to recover relatively quickly from a a disturbance or a perturbation. There's also the concept of resistance, that is a a component of resiliency, which is uh, resisting crashing as a result of one of these risks or a disturbance in the first place. And uh, both of those both of those concepts are highlighted in some of these short case study documentary films that I mentioned uh, you and I were on a project on. We talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Those case study documentary films are now published and they're available at WSU's Center for Sustaining Ag and Natural Resources website. Uh, You can probably search for it that way. You can also go to the CSANR. I think it's CSANR.wsu.edu website and find them pretty easily from there. But we will also include uh, that link in the show notes. We have, we have a, a short film on the Stingley Ranch in central Washington, uh, focusing on ecological resiliency. We have one on Jack Southworth, who's been on the podcast, uh, down in central Oregon, eastern Oregon. And his focus is on economic resiliency and some of the things we've talked about today. And we also have a short film on the Richards Ranch in the Owyhees in southern Idaho. And theirs focuses more on social resiliency and, and probably some aspects that um, people are not accustomed to thinking through, but, but which I think really make a difference, especially in rangeland-based livestock operations. Uh, so those films are, are out there now and available to take a look at. There are also some supporting publications that go a little bit deeper into the science behind uh, the, the various resiliency strategies used by these different ranches. Uh, those are not, not quite posted yet, but they will be pretty soon. Shannon, we've talked about both some educational tools to help ranchers manage risk as well as uh, some insurance products. Uh, if people want to learn more about both of those things, which are somewhat different, where would they go to find out that? How to get a hold of that.
1: Yeah. So the educational materials we'll make uh, available through links in the show notes and information there where you can gain education uh, describing these insurance products and tools so that you know uh, what they are and have a firm understanding of them. But to actually execute these tools and to purchase these insurance tools, you have to go to a crop insurance agent. And the crop insurance agent is your uh is your tool is is your contact is your is your point of person to get to reach to actually execute these products and they'll support you with other questions and uh help you get to those uh decisions and implement those management tools very good
0: anything else you want to say on a take home message
1: no uh just that Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast. I've enjoyed listening to all the podcasts. I think it's been a fabulous project and uh, hope that you uh, enjoy these as, as much as we have been in producing them and look forward to more podcasts in the future.
0: Very good. Shannon, thanks for your time. Certainly. Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast.